Hello, and welcome everyone to the Developmentor Podcast. Each and every episode, we want to give you insight into a variety of careers in technology. I'm your host, Grant Ingersoll. To date so far, we've interviewed a variety of guests ranging from the C-suite of publicly traded companies to self-taught developers working in a variety of industries. To that end, today's guest is the CTO of the upstart web search company, DuckDuckGo. That is slowly and surely taking a bite out of Google through laser-sharp focus on their one big weakness, privacy. Along his journey in tech, he's transformed from a computer programmer to CTO to a leading thinker on privacy, all while living outside of the usual tech hubs like Silicon Valley. True to that privacy forum, he's actually a pretty tough person to do background research on for a podcast since he doesn't have a lot of public persona. So I'm going to have to be on my toes for this interview. At any rate, please welcome to the show, Kane Tai. Kane, great to have you here. Thanks, Greg. Hey, Kane. So, you know, thanks for taking the time to join me. I mentioned the lead-in that you're, you know, I usually like to do some career research through LinkedIn and that. I couldn't really find a lot on there. So how about we just start off by having you introduce yourself, your, your background, perhaps some of your schooling, and, and then we'll uh, take it from there. Sure. Sounds good. Um, so I went to, I mean, I guess my, my professional career started when I was, uh, as most people do, 15, 16. I was just exchanging logic boards on computers and kind of was cutting my teeth and programming since I was younger. Materially, though, like I founded and ran a small consultancy that was focused on uh, companies with great ideas that were struggling to execute them called Open Sesame Labs. And then after that, uh, like you said, I uh, was the first employee and now CTO of DuckDuckGo, you know, an internet privacy company that empowers you to seamlessly take control of your personal information online. Yeah, I, would, I definitely want to dig in on that CTO role, but tell me a little bit more about the consulting uh, at Open Sesame. So you, you started this company. Was it just you? Did you have some partners? So I went to Union College and I um, in Schenectady, New York, and I dabbled in computer science, math, and physics, you know, the, the three musketeers as it was like my my mother's a pediatric cardiovascular surgeon and everyone always asks me what wh whether or not she was going to push me into medicine but she did a pretty good job of uh, letting me love the computer and find my poetry with that but um open sesame labs was a company that i founded because i was noticing that at least around cambridge there cambridge mass there was a lot of companies that had these really cool ideas and somebody would write a whole bunch of software that like was just not good. And then when the product would start to do as they were identifying product market fit and as they were, you know, pursuing those ideas, they would run into this, or at least some of the companies would invariably run into this issue where the product just wasn't up to snuff. And so I really enjoyed working on multiple projects at the same time, keeping really, really busy. I did that by myself. I had somebody do the accounting and making people pay because I had a hard time with that. When I was 20, I really had a hard time because I really wanted, I, I, I wanted to forget about the money. It always like fell by the wayside. I was convinced that, you know, if you do good, good will come to you. Um, yeah. And so I, was, I would hope the money would follow and turned out sometimes companies would go under owing me three, five, ten thousand $10,000, but that was okay. Cause you know, once, once I made that mistake enough, I, I got someone to collect for me, and that was good. Um, yeah. But other than him, 
other than him, I didn't really have um, my friend Barrett. Other than him, I didn't really have anyone uh, helping too much on the programming side except for my network of people. Yeah, I mean, that's, I think, one of the interesting challenges around being that individual consultant. You know, it's often feast or famine. And, and the thing that, uh, you know, you're actually really good at, like in your case, programming, often means that there's these other things that uh, you just don't want to do, right? <laughs> like like bill collections and and things like that. You, you hit on an interesting thing there uh, that you're, you're, I don't know if it was your mom's statement or yours, but this notion of, <coughs> finding your poetry Ex- explain a little bit more what you what you mean by that when i was young i was about 10 you know 10 years old when i really found the computer i was lucky to have you know have the opportunity to work on an old computer and play with it and um it, it was clear my mom always had this idea idea that there was poetry in things and for me it was very clear early on that the computer digital watches cars, things that were related to complicated engineering problems. Like I would always take them apart and put them back together. And the computer really stuck for me. I, my first computer, I bought it off of UBID, if anyone actually remembers that site. <laughs> yeah. um, at, at 266 megahertz, you know, I don't even know what the what it was at the time. Two gigabyte hard drive, 128 megahertz, my $2,000, my entire life savings just to get on Netcom. But I mean, it was clearly my poetry. I just, I, you know, I was that kid that everyone was yelling at to get off the phone because I was always just dialed into the internet, making mm-hmm. trouble. Yeah, it's back in the good old days of AOL, uh, uh, shipping out CDs so that you could get on the internet <laughs> and all that good stuff. Uh, so, is th- that early computer? I mean, were you programming right off the bat, or was it more of a tinkering and taking apart? Or like, what I would do is like just try to figure out how I could run my favorite game on it. I didn't much care about the other stuff in those early days. I just had to figure out how to get the game I wanted to play loaded. I mean, at first it was. For me, it was programming. Like I took to it because, you know, in addition to heart surgery, she was starting a non-invasive glucose uh, monitoring company and we had programmers there all the time. And and I was like, I don't understand how this works. Like I understand, someone explained it to me and she introduced me to this uh, Russian programmer who every time he found a bug in one of my programs, he'd delete the entire program. Um, (laughs) And so I, I made calculator after calculator after calculator and it was it was a really great experience for me. I, I was programming, yeah, then. And then it turned into trying to get the Red Hat Linux for Dummies phase where, like, I wanted to get Linux to run perfectly on my laptop, which was an absolute nightmare um, at the time. And I just found it fun to try to get every little module to work, every driver to load, yeah. and then kind of cut my teeth on some uh, kernel programming then and driver programming and let me let me make sure i heard you correct this this uh programmer friend of yours every time he found a bug he would delete the program that yep and so you had to start over from scratch yep (laughs) (laughs) that is that's such a like an old school teaching program right it was it was like you know kind of sisyphean in that way wow Um, but it was it was a it was a really good experience because I focus it like it taught me early on to really focus on making sure that my the way that it was written was in a way that it could be understood and that I could understand it again. 
Yeah, um, and, I, and I really, I really focused on on that, and and that kind of informed some of my loves and some of my hates about programming, which we can get into if you want composition versus inheritance and other things like that. But yeah, that's where it started. It all started pretty young. That's a pretty amazing mentorship. Although I, I don't even know how in programming you ever graduate from that school <laughs> because you pretty much would be deleting every program ever because they always have you just fun. Leave. <laughs> uh, yeah, you just leave. You get up one day and leave. Yeah, no, <laughs> that's fantastic. Although, like like you said, I think that's a great way to learn. A little bit draconian, I'm sure, but so you're at Open Sesame, or you, you've got this consultancy, and then. Did you go straight from that to DuckDuckGo or was there any transition period? Um, so I had met Gabe prior to all of that online, you know, like and I mean, Gabe being the, uh, Gabe yeah, Gabe, Gabriel Weinberg, the CEO founder of DuckDuckGo, my, you know, is my mentor as well. I met him on, on uh, Hacker News and then we started exchanging emails. But the, the point is, is my transition kind of was that he was working on a company um, or had was a, advising or had angel invested or both usually they're together a company called wakemate which um was a kind of a sleep cycle device that you would have on your wrist Hmm. and it would determine your you know your rhythm and your REM sleep and when appropriate to gently wake you up based on your movement but it was like a better signal to noise than just putting your phone's accelerometer on the bed Anyways, I thought it was a pretty sweet idea and they were having trouble executing, which was kind of the mission statement of my little, I mean, consultancy sounds so overly important. It was more just me contracting and banging (laughs) on the software, Um, you know, and then I met him there and I I tried to bail that company out. It didn't exactly work with all the technical stuff that was going on there and how it was organized, but I, you know, got to meet Gabe and work with him more closely. And then I started volunteering my time on his Android application for DuckDuckGo just because I was like, this would be cool, you know, just to see how it works because how is he working on search? Where's the index? How is that working? You know, at least if I could make some API calls, I could get a better idea of the architecture of what he was working on. And after that, it kind of all just... I just kept working for him. And never yeah. stopped. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean that's interesting. I mean, I think you hit on some really key things there, and this uh, just even in my own career of, you know, that volunteering with something like open source or, or you know, in this case, uh, kind of a shared source or open source, however you want to look at it. You know, just the people you meet and then being open to to what comes next it sounds like a, a pretty key thing it sounds like you have a few of those kind of serendipitous moments you know first off you sounds like you have an incredible mother who who just encouraged you to go out and explore and then you know and then you kind of come in to randomly meeting gabe on the internet and uh the, the rest is history so then you know take me into dr go a little bit and into your role as as cto and kind of fill in our guests a little bit about What's all like, what does your day to day look like in that role? Sure. So I think the one thing that I I missed here in my transition was that I could have worked for other startups because like I, yeah, like literally my entire thing was like going to look for startups. But the thing that I was also looking for was mentorship, like figuring out how to spend my time effectively. And so that's 
Gabe, that was a huge draw to DuckDuckGo because like Gabe just knew and still knows more than I do. And it's been a very fruitful relationship for me to like figure out how I'm supposed to spend my time. And I think and at DuckDuckGo, what I originally was doing was identifying what was preventing people from using the site. And in the early days, what that was, was like, you know, our competitors were working on videos or acquiring YouTube or, you know, working on their own image indexes. And they had Google Maps and Bing Maps and all that other stuff. And so I was just trying to fill out these major verticals through resolving the user's intention on the way in. Is it a mappy query? Is it a newsy query? Is it an imagey query? And trying to like, filter that intent to the appropriate vertical and identify an upstream provider because in search there are a lot of valuable APIs and a lot of valuable data sets that are not just, you know, from Google or from anyone in particular. And um, we were looking to identify those and kind of treat those as commodity and build a private search experience that the, the key value there was supposed to be that it was a private a private search engine, not like the world's best search engine or most technologically advanced or whatever. Yeah. I mean, you know, was the privacy thing, I'm trying to remember, you know, I've been a long time DuckDuckGo user as, as you know, and, uh, but you know, was the privacy thing always the cornerstone or I kind of seem to recall there was kind of a, uh, an inflection point where, where you all really just latched on to, Hey, let's really take and, and pound on this nail. Right, like try to drive this wedge as deep as we can because the world is waking up to the fact that you know everybody's trying to monetize them. Right. So, yeah, you're right. The site was started in 08, and the basic premise was before privacy was to leverage structured data to provide a better search experience. And then, as Gabriel, I wasn't involved at the time, as Gabriel was working on that idea the idea of privacy came in through feedback and they were like, what about IP logs? What about user agent logs? What about all this? And Gabriel was like deleted. And there's like this really funny, like Reddit thread where someone was mentioning this stuff and Gabe just decided in that moment that he completely agreed with that ideology and basically set the no collection. You know, we do, we do not collect or store or share private information and personal information. And from there, you know, that's, that's the product and, and uh, what has led to our vision, which is to raise the standard of trust online and the mission, which is to be the company people trust most with their online privacy. Yeah, that's fantastic. And I think so important. And and so, you know, in many ways, you've grown up with this company uh, as well, right? You know, you kind of come in, you're the, you're the, the sole programmer kind of, well, I suppose though Gabe is programming too, but you're you're wiring together all these things, and then you know you slowly, but you know again, kind of talking about Sisyphean tasks, you're you're slowly but surely rolling this boulder up the hill that is internet search, competing against these behemoths, and and at the same time, like I imagine in your role as CTO, you're you're bringing on new people, you're you're having to build out infrastructure within the company to support a a larger and larger staff. You know, talk a little bit about how you go about building a team like that and and convincing people to join and and what you look for. So there have been many eras to this. The original era was 
what we called inbound hiring. We basically did no external recruitment or anything like that. I mean, we would occasionally post on Hacker News the Who's Hiring thread, but all of our requests came inbound. People just proposing that they would be a good fit for the company. And we'd evaluate people as they came in. Um, and that worked for a great very many years and probably four or five. And then we had to refactor the entire thing as like we had obvious needs that were not necessarily being filled. And so like in terms of building, I, I find it to be pretty different. Like building a team is different than just building the entire engineering organization. As the first employee, I've built more than just the engineering yeah. team here. Because I feel like the culture is even more important than necessarily the hiring. It's actually surprisingly my favorite part of the company. But I guess the way that I think about how to build an effective team is to make people feel safe at work. And so, I, yeah, I guess I, I focus on culture. Our current hiring methodology is we have internal recruiters, two of them that are primarily focused on identifying the needs of the organization and then sourcing those uh, sure. uh, positions. But um, another good example of building a team was up until, a, you know, a year and a half ago, we, or yeah, two years ago, a year and a half ago, we didn't have a mobile team. We had, we were working with a third party um, to do that. And then we had to bring it, we had to bring it in house. And I think there, what happened was, is we had identified a really great mobile developer in our, our engagement with the con contracting firm. And I just basically said to the leader of the contracting firm, would you mind parting with the subcontractor? And he said, kind of, uh, but, not, <laughs> but not tremendously. Um, and I said, okay, well, you know, I, I, I basically took a bid on that. And um, yeah, she, she came in and, and basically formed the beginning of that team and then helped me think about and identify the criteria. For example, do we care about cross-platform mobile engineers? Do we care about specialists? What is the, the mix of specialists to cross-platform? And uh, what type of culture do we want to build within the mobile team? And from there, I think we, we take a mental models first principles approach to building the teams instead of assimilating them into the company. So things are pretty uh, you know, independent in terms of the functional teams on the company. Interesting. I mean, and, and, you know, this is one of the things that even in my own transition into a C-level role of, you know, getting it, you just have to shift the way you think. And so I want to pull on that thread a little bit more around culture and the mental models there. And, and could you maybe go a layer deeper, you know, to the extent you can talk about how you, how you think about those things and, and how, you, how you go about creating that? Because uh, frankly, like early days of my company, it was something we honestly screwed up. And it, it took a bit to get it fixed, if you will, to get it sustainable, to get something that people really feel good about, you know. So talk a little bit more about that for me, if you will. Sure. So, like, this is what I've learned the most. And this, you know, you hit the nail on the head. I really have grown up with the company, which has been a tremendous opportunity for me. The way in which we incentivize and promote people within the company is based on their ability to contain complexity, which is just another way for saying leadership. Mm -hmm. So I think that 
the most important thing you can do is provide people a problem statement and set expectations about what it is that you want done. And then to basically make sure that they have appropriate advisory and then just be done, you know, let, let them try to solve the problem. And, and then if they do without any problems, great, give them something a little bit more complicated. If they don't, that's a little bit sad, but you also have to hold them accountable for it. So foundationally, I think, you know, when you work at this company, the incentivization structure and the advancement structure is all based on leadership, your ability to do more impactful things for the company. And there's a lot of opportunity for that. Yeah. Now, it's interesting because, I mean, like, like you said, you've grown into this role. I mean, was this something where Gabe helped you out a lot? I mean, any, any particular inspirational, like, you know, I don't know, books or anything that really helped you? see the light on these things because you know like you, you go from being this individual consultant where you're you know the only one you're accountable to is to yourself obviously to your customers a little bit too but but then all of a sudden you know you've got i don't know how many engineers and product people you have these days but look i'm gonna guess it's more than 20 so you yeah, know now all of a sudden 50. yeah and so now you you know you've got hierarchies you've got managers you've got teams uh, you know you're, you're managing teams you know what was that growth part like for you and, and how did you go about scaling yourself? So, yeah, that's a great question. Uh, we have a leadership library. There's, you know, we could go into books, The Advantage by, I can't remember, it was Patrick Guiancioni, I think maybe, uh, Principles in Life and Work by Ray Dalio, um, you know, the hard thing about hard things. These are kind of like, you know, a, yeah. the best hits, you know, greatest hits, like you should read them yeah. uh, and you don't have to read them. Listen to them in your car or <laughs> your bike or whatever you on your walks. It'll just, I feel like it just make, made me happier and it made me being a leader is a lonely thing, even yeah. if you've been there the whole time, because it just is, it, it's, it can be lonely. And I think hearing that and being reinforced over the books does help. Tying back to my, my programming, the way that I thought about building the organization is the way that I think about programs. I literally started architecting the organization as a program. Gabe and I had a lot of conversations about this over the years, and I think the right way to do it is the same way that you should write programs, <laughs> which is to focus on a composition-based model, does a relationships instead of has a relationships. And many companies... I mean, again, many, maybe your, your, your listeners may not know, but DuckDuckGo is a purely remote organization. Like we don't have, we do have a headquarters, but like three people are there. There are more people in a satellite office than there are in our headquarters. So that's also architect, helped architect our organizational structure. And I think the, some of the key insights there are how we organize the, how we've been able to be productive is how we organize the company, which is around expectations and around behavior as opposed to around people. So if somebody, you have a functional team, which is where you may be a front end engineer, where you are participating in conversations about your functional expertise, you have an objective team in which you're supposed to be, you know, working on a strategic imperative for the company, which is where you discuss your, you know, your work, your day to day work, which is not necessarily related to your functional expertise. And I think having those different conversations allows people to allows us to form an idea meritocracy where the most powerful people in terms of a functional expertise are people that are strongest at in this particular case run in engineering but they may not be the strongest strategic thinker so trying to have like 
uh, you know, what is normally like a front end manager that manages five or six people and their entire lives, including their professional development and everything like that. It, it doesn't appreciate the separation of concerns and like the separate requirements. Um, and so we break all of those roles up. Hmm. Um, and we have, you know, a functional team leader. We have a career advisor who just works on that. That's not, that's not the functional team leader. We have objective leaders and, and that separation of concerns allows, it really celebrates people's strengths, which is something that I really believe in and I think has gotten us to better throughput. Yeah. Wow. That's, that's, that's super interesting. Uh, uh, and, and I'll be sure to link up in the, the show notes, those, those books. But I mean, I think there's some, some really interesting cultural ideas for, for a company in there and, and, and couldn't agree more with the, you know, being senior leadership is, is pretty lonely. Although I don't think anybody's going to shed a tear for any senior leader at any company <laughs> in, in hearing that. But, uh, uh <laughs> Maybe shifting gears a little bit here, Kane. Uh, you know, kind of as you reflect on all of this, uh, I hear two really interesting themes. One, you know, in in crafting your career, you sought out mentorship and learning first and foremost, and and kind of paired that up with, you know, with of course things you love. But you know, delve a little bit more into the mentorship side of it. Like I said, it sounds like you had an amazing one in your mom. Sounds like Gabe plays a lot of that role. What do you know for our listeners who perhaps aren't haven't thought about finding a mentor? What do you think are some key things that you really should look for there? Sure, I'm gonna have to keep this podcast away from my mom. I think she'll be too excited <laughs> to hear how much I've talked about her. She won't believe it. Um, <laughs> separate from that, um, you know, I think there's this idea called you know a mental model called the circle of competence, which is something I believe Warren Buffett invented or doesn't really matter but the idea is that there are things that you certainly know there are things that you think that you know and then there are things that you don't know and that area those concentric circles like that particular area of the things that you think that you know like that's where you're the most dangerous and i think i realized that pretty early on that like i had a fair amount of horsepower to like do things that i wanted to but if i wasn't putting that in the correct direction that i could go astray. Um, and it was important to me to identify the appropriate way to spend my time. And honestly, I was at 21, you know, a lot more immature, yes, less mature. And, you know, I would, I had more ego and, you know, Gabe dealt with that and put me in my place a fair number of times. And I think that it was important for me to have a strong mentor that could articulate and really get to the root cause of problems that we were facing as a company and how I could best use my time in a productive way. Um, and I think that's, that's just really important for people to, to seek out and whether they do it through books or they want to construct a relationship with a mentor, I think how you spend your time, there's like nothing more important than that and understanding why you're spending your time that way. And, um, that's yeah. basically the, the crux of my mentor, you know, my mentor mentee relationship. Yeah, no, that's really interesting. I mean, I think especially like if you come from a programming background, sometimes it's like, Oh, well, let me just write a little more code. 
right? And sometimes the answer is, no, you shouldn't write more code. <laughs> a whole lot of times the answer is you should delete code. <laughs> I think your, uh, your Russian friend there was, was preparing you for the future there. But uh, yeah. some, some really important concepts there. So, so how do you think about prioritizing your time and in, in, in your role in, in CTO, as a CTO? It's a hard one. Yeah. Um, I think, as you probably know, co-founding your own company, you replace yourself on a cadence if, you're, if your company is, success, is you know, succeeding, which is like, first you do, you know, programming work, and then you attempt to manage programming work, and then manage, manage programming work, and then everything starts to break, and you need process. And so for me, I have set my North Star on doing what I think is is most impactful for the company at any one time, which started with me identifying the things that we weren't doing or the ways in which the organization was slow and then attempting however possible to fix that. In some cases, it was hiring. In some cases, it was developing technical designs. And so in terms of prioritizing my time, finally, what ended up happening was I was just asking myself what I could take off of gave our CEO's plate that kind of fell into my purview. And um, where I'm at now with all of that is basically I set out to achieve a principle or something like I have the year of throughput, you know, and then I like try to identify the ways in which DuckDuckGo is, is having trouble. And then I identified technical designs, for example, was one way that we were having trouble people were writing PRs and then there was not enough upfront thought and that was a new problem surprise which I'm sure many people are not surprised about and then we instituted technical designs and it instead of doing all this back and forth work it became a vector they would just go forward the entire time and that was very valuable and it set expectations and honestly that's when I got really excited about culture because I realized how powerful this thing was and I was under this this really bad misconception where I was like, would I want to fill out a technical design? You know, like, do I feel like that's red tape? Like, is that disrespectful? And um, it really isn't because when you think about it, those things, if you can remove yourself from the equation, they're not about you. They're about everybody else and making an ecosystem and and a, a nice place to work. And I think now my primary focus is, kind of transcended throughput into making the workplace, you know, making people feel safe at work because when they feel safe at work, it's almost like Maslow's hierarchy of needs. Like once all your people are, they're not worried about how they're perceived in the organization and all this stuff, they're all moving towards self-actualization. And when you get these people that are just thinking about how they're driving their own future and they're all in this growth mindset, there's just such a better the outcomes are just so much better because they're synthesizing their own best interests with the best interests of the company. And they're actually being honest about those things. And so that's really what I've been focused on probably for the past nine months. And it's bearing a lot of fruit, but I don't think I could have started there. You know, there was some groundwork that needed to be laid very similar to Maslow's hierarchy of needs. That's amazing. I mean, I think, you, you know, you hit on a, one of the things I've seen as, as well is this creating contracts, you know, it's, it's not, f- in some ways, the contracts like designs is also a future contract with yourself, right? 
you know, by writing this down, by taking that time, I'm, I'm communicating into the future, right? And, and a lot of times you're actually communicating to yourself in the future of, hey, here's what I thought at the time. And so it, it helps everybody just, it, it, it un, unlocks the bottlenecks because now uh, you can communicate asynchronously and, and you can communicate across time as well, which is, I think, a, a really underappreciated idea in a, a small and fast growing company, <laughs> right? Yeah, it's, I mean, it's, it's been really such an amazing experience that I'm grateful for. I mean, we did 9 billion searches in 2018 with less than 70 people. We're at 40 million searches a day. Wow. You know, 1% of the US search market. It may not seem like a lot, but when we were sub 1 million a day, it seemed like you said, <laughs> rolling this boulder up the hill. And yeah. uh, I really think that uh, how really spending a lot of time and in investing in your people, yeah, sometimes you overinvest, but it's very rare. And usually on the other end, like if you identify the right people to, to bring into your company and you invest heavily in them, there's, you know, there's something on the other end of that that's way, way greater than the amount of time you've invested. Yeah, so it's been an experience. That's amazing. And perhaps shifting gears a little bit into, into kind of the here and now and forward. And I mean, I think you just kind of touched on this with, you know, you're, you're up against, you know, you're, 9 billion is a lot of, a lot of searches, but you know, I mean, Google probably does that in, I don't know, 10 minutes or something like that or, <laughs> or an hour. So, you, you know, you're in this arms race against some really well-funded behemoths and, you know, barring government action around trust and all that kind of stuff, which, you know, there's, there's rumors of every now and then. But how do you, you know, think about that as a CTO in terms of competing uh, you know, how do you find those arbitrage situations? Uh, how do you think about the strategy of of being in that type of role of, you know, the proverbial David and Goliath? Now we're talking. Like, this is what I'm excited about. I'm actually yeah. prepared. I'm prepared to talk about DuckDuckGo more than I am myself. I'm, uh, used, I'm awesome. not used to that. So, um, right, we started Search in 08, and um, – about two years ago, like search was simple, right? It, DuckDuckGo is, we're designed to, at that time, right? We always wanted to raise the standard of trust online and the way we were doing that was through building the world's most trusted search engine. And then two years ago, it had been just digging at us because we were making progress on this against Google and, and people care about privacy, right? Like 65% of Americans say that data privacy is the most pressing issue out of 16 different issues and more concerning than healthcare, right? Wow. That was from USA Today, a survey of two, 2,000 adults. And, and I think like that's, that's the market, right? So like it, people want this. And what we realized as we were building a search engine was that we couldn't protect them people, we couldn't raise the standard of trust online once they left the site. And that was like pretty scary and we needed to solve that. And so that's when we decided to work on a seamless privacy protection uh, beyond search. And so in the last two years, we worked on a solution called Privacy Essentials, which we launched on day to privacy day, January 23rd of 18. And it's a holistic one-stop shop for all your privacy you know, all your online privacy needs, tracker blocking, better encryption, 
uh, will grade sites based on like how per, you know, pernicious they are to your privacy. And obviously there's private search in there. And then when you look about, when you look at that and you push forward, right to the future, in addition to protecting them off of your own site, like it's very clear that that's not enough. You can't just stop there. Like, and what we've realized is that it's important for us to join the regulatory conversation. And so the way in which we've been pursuing that is understanding better what some people may be familiar with is do not track. And, you know, 23% of people have do not track on. And 41% of those people had no idea that like it's completely voluntary and that like companies don't, these, you know, your Googles, your Facebooks, Twitters, they don't even, they don't even appreciate that, that value. And that three quarters of the entire people expect that that would be followed and that it should be regulated. So that's like a pretty interesting and compelling story to me. And it's what really gets me up other than making the people in our organization feel safe is how can we make other people feel safe online? And um, I think we need to empower regulation with information and, and that narrative. So that's kind of, I think, you know, that and amongst some potential other product lines we may think about in the future. Yeah, that's awesome. And, and just for, the, for everyone listening, I'm, I'm staring at my notes for this interview in Google Docs and the, the DuckDuckGo Privacy Essentials is uh, rating it as a D right now. So uh, <laughs> you get this nice letter grade that is almost always a C or below, I think, uh, <laughs> for, for many sites, unfortunately. But so... I can tell just in the way you're talking about that, that this, this, this has become a, quite a passion. Was this always a, a passion for you? And, you know, I'm so often in, in career advice, oh, follow your passion, which I actually think is kind of BS. It's more find your passion and then go for it. Because especially in early on in your career, you just often don't even know what you're passionate about yet. I mean, good on you if you do, but, you know, so how did that come about for you? Is it just purely out of working at DuckDuckGo or were there inklings of it earlier on? I can't say that I went into DuckDuckGo like with statistics on <laughs> yeah <laughs> how many people or cared about Pew Research on 4.5 thousand respondents and committed some of these things to memory. You know, it's, I think what I've always cared about is freedom. You know, I, I committed, contributed a lot to open source when I was younger. And I think privacy is, is a part, it's, it's a, it's a fundamental human right. And it, you know, when you should, when you're observed, you, you may not have the freedom of thought and you're typing your intentions and your thoughts into a search engine. Yeah. Um, and, and so, I don't, I think I was just kind of like, wow, Gabe's really smart. Gabe's really cool. And like, wow, this is like a search engine and there's an unlimited amount of technological playgroundness for me to like contribute to. And then, you know, like I said, I was immature and young. And, and I think as I kind of have grown with the company, as you said, I, I've come to realize that like, this is much bigger and like the implications of you know, building a, 
uh, of a vision and trying to take responsibility for raising the standard of trust online is something I really believe in. Yeah. So I, I guess I, you know, there's, I have many passions, but this one's really kind of got its teeth in right now. Yeah, that's very cool. I mean, and I, and I, like I said, I, I love that, that, you know, like sometimes it just happens later, you know, you don't always have to know. And, and I think for our listeners out there, that's a really key thing to remember. And, in your career is you don't always have to know. And you, I, I often, just in my own, I look at it as my career has been guided exploration, right? I kind of have an idea that I want to go in that general direction, but if I see something interesting over on the side, and, and I think you hinted at this is, especially in this field of technology, there's interesting things everywhere. And so just get involved and then you can, oh, hey, let me go look over on the side. Maybe it's just a day trip. Maybe it's your lifelong career. Uh, so yeah, I, mean, that, I think that's like, that's, that's a great way to put it. I mean, to me, it's, you know, I, I really believe in making your own luck and luck is preparation meeting opportunity. I don't know who said that, but I've always lived by that. And I think my passions have like played off of one another. You know, the computer was an obvious passion and I, I've kind of like changed that into, I'm more passionate about frankly, the cultural side of our company now, even though I do a lot of technology and then, you know, how that making a trustworthy company, because if you make a trustworthy company, the way that they are intrinsically making decisions is, you know, in the service of raising the standard of trust online and how, again, all of those things feed off of one another. I think you're exactly right. Like you'll find it if you are honest. Yeah, no, that's great. And, and, and perhaps that's a, a good uh, tie-in or segue into to my last question. And uh, one that I, I pretty much ask in some form of every, every guest, uh, which is, you know, hey, so if somebody wants to get into this field around trust and privacy, and perhaps we'll throw security in there, uh, you know, what do you recommend? What is what are some some keys that you found helpful in terms of somebody who wants to gain the technical skills to to get up to speed on on these issues? Sure. So, I think that security is its own thing. You know, security engineering and and all of that is it's very difficult, very worthy work. And I think we use a lot of that work. And I think if you want to get that's a turtles all the way down type of deal, security all the way down to cypher suites and like how the math works. And there's a lot of really amazing and fun stuff in there. So for that, my recommendation would be to just go read and get involved and configure servers and yeah. to understand to the best of your ability how to implement security protocols. Why? What's the difference between assault and a nonce? Like, why do the why does that matter? Does it matter? And and that's just a, a practice. Well, practice, practice, practice. Right. In the CS way, privacy. I think is from a technical perspective, it can be easy. It's like that which you do not collect. <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah, but at the same so, time, you also still you know need to you know as my uh, CEO loves to say, we're we're still here to conduct commerce, right? So. You've got to find uh, you've got to find a way that that you're still you know able to make money at the end of the day, and then you know, and in your space, of course, there is a way as you guys have proven to do that, which is which is really cool. Definitely hits that you know. Sometimes uh, I think one of the things you're really getting at is sometimes you just have to think differently about it. I mean, our implementations are very complicated because of our privacy constraints. Like 
even we, you know, developing non-invasive feedback techniques to make sure that the products are correct, you know, that they're engaging. Like there's a lot of amazing work that you can do there. I think what it comes down to with the privacy stuff is you need to really understand and do the intellectual labor to ensure that the software that you're developing is doing what you're intending it to do with respect to the user and respecting the user. You know, I have this phrase where, you know, that's stolen straight out of Tron, which is, you know, we fight for the user. And I think that is how I view privacy within DuckDuckGo is doing the intellectual labor to understand where to fight and why and what, where the line is. Because there are so many lines with privacy that that exist that are not the same as with security. Security is like, yeah. can somebody like bang on this, you know, implementation and like break into it? Privacy is like how you, like you said, how you conduct business. And um, if you want to get into the privacy space, it's a lot less configuring Nginx or Apache or whatever and go into SSL labs and figuring out what your server is doing. And it's a lot more of thinking about how you might run a service and what you would collect and what you wouldn't collect and taking a least collection model. So I don't know if that helps, but yeah. I mean, I think there's a lot of intellectual labor there for, you know, make just ethics deciding yeah. what you're going to do. That makes sense. And so maybe I lied and I'll ask one more question, which is, you know, now that you kind of reflect back, you, you had a lot of good nuggets in there and super thankful for you joining me. But, you know, perhaps uh, just if, if you could sum up kind of your best career advice as you as you reflect back, other than have an awesome mom, by the way, uh, you know, how do you how, how would you you know, what would you recommend for people just as they go forward into their career? My number one piece of recommendation, which was obvious from when you said I might have to answer that question, was understand how you spend your time, period. Like, not only has that changed my life, it has changed everybody's life that I've been involved in. If someone's unhappy, I just literally start digging into how they spend their time. And it's, they hate it. It's like, yeah. you know, walk me through Monday, walk me through Tuesday, walk me through Wednesday. And then you just keep exhaustively looking at how you spend your time. And if you understand how you spend your time, it'll get you through the things that you don't like, like traffic on the way to work. If you at least understand it, you can really have a better career um, and make <laughs> wow. sure that, you're, that, 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 I mean, it, it really is that simple. I know, I know it sounds kind of crazy, but just really understanding how you're spending your time from a, a a first principles perspective and not just being like, Oh, well I had to do that or whatever. Like get write it in a spreadsheet, go crazy with it. Yeah. Really understand it. No, that's, that's awesome. And, and uh, I think uh, I, I don't even know what to add on to that because I, th I think there's some truly sage advice there. So I'll, I'll just wrap up then with uh, uh, thank you so much Kane for, for joining me on the podcast. Uh, for our listeners, I'll make sure uh, to link up a number of things Kane mentioned in here, some of those books. Uh, I too uh, second, you know, in particular, hard thing about hard, hard things about hard things. We'll make sure we link up DuckDuckGo and some of the tools that Kane mentioned there. But I, you know. I'd also add Gabe's books. He, he wrote Traction and then he just recently released um, a mental models book, which is pretty amazing as well. He wrote that with his wife. So I can share those with you after and I would highly recommend those, but I kind of 
got those over the past 10 years for free. Awesome. That's, uh, that's so cool. And, and that killer advice of finding a good mentor, I think is, is so critical. So Kane, thank you so much for joining me today. Likewise. Thanks a lot, Grant. Thank you as always to our listeners for taking the time to listen. If you like the show, we'd love for you to subscribe on Apple Podcasts or whatever your favorite podcast app is. You can also visit us at developmentor.com to hear older episodes as well as find other content on careers and technology. Most importantly, if you like this show, please tell your friends. Referrals are the lifeblood of any podcast. If you have any feedback on this episode or any episode, or you'd like to be a guest, drop us an email at podcasts at developmentor.com. Finally, we here at Developmentor hope that each and every episode helps you move that one step closer to finding your path.